Intelligence. Energizing your email marketing with Kate Barrett. Brought to you by eFocus Marketing. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Intelligence. Today is our monthly Intelligence Masterclass, and it's my pleasure to be joined today by Kate Creamer from Scaled Agile. Kate advocates for empathetic surprise and delight email marketing in and outside of her work as Scaled Agile's email marketing manager. Prior to joining the Scaled Agile team, Kate managed the digital marketing and automation strategy at Boulder SaaS innovator Make Music. She's the 2019 Stefan Pollard Email Marketer of the Year winner, featured on Phrase's Who to Follow series and Vice Chair of the EEC's Events and Education Committee. She's an expert and enthusiast in email, customer data and marketing automation. And she's always pushing for the next best customer centric campaign, which is exactly why I wanted to get her on for this masterclass today so that we could talk to you all about emotional intelligence in email, because I know that she believes in beautiful design, protecting the subscriber, clean copy and relentless innovation in email. So she is the perfect girl to come on and talk with me today. So you've got two Kates with you today. So, Kate, welcome. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me. Double trouble today, right? <laughs> I know, double trouble indeed. Thank you so much for having me on, Kate. It's just a pleasure. Well, I've done my little introduction of you, but did you want to introduce yourself a little bit more and introduce Scaled Agile as well and what you guys do? Yeah, so Scaled Agile is a really, really exciting company, and I'm, I'm so I'm so delighted to be a part of the team. You know, I joined back in March, um, and I didn't really know very much about what we did um, when I first heard about the company, but it was cool to join the team having coming from a SaaS team working with engineers, you know, at Make Music, I had been working in Scrum and Kanban and I knew a little bit about lean and agile software development. Um, but it, it was such a joy to get to know the scaled agile team who is taking the lean and agile methodologies and we've made our own scaled agile framework. And we take that framework and we help companies like Boeing and Airbus and Nike take that lean and agile mindset and apply it across the companies. So basically their marketing team, their sales teams, their product teams, all of their teams, not just their engineering teams can work better, faster, happier, and see results for what they want to do a lot quicker. Amazing. I think we're going to have to do another episode with you where we go through those types of methodology because they are so useful for helping internal teams to work in a better, more structured way where you've got those feedback loops in place and everyone knows what they're doing. So I think we're definitely going to have to come back and do another episode on that. Oh, brilliant. (laughs) For today, what I wanted to talk to you about was that emotional intelligence because we were recently at a conference together at the Litmus Live conference in London. And you did an amazing presentation. And I wanted to have this conversation with you because for me, something that I'm talking to my clients about all the time and as a business, we we're always talking about at eFocus Marketing is being customer centric, truly understanding who you're talking to, when you're talking to them and linking all of that together to come up with a messaging strategy and a communication strategy that works for the individual individual subscribers. And 
It's so important in today's email environment that we're moving away. I mean, we shouldn't be doing that batch and blast methodology anymore. You know, it's so 10, 15 years ago. (laughs) We shouldn't be doing that anymore. But so many of us do still do it. And so many clients come to me and are still doing that to... Because they're under pressure to send more, sell more, get more out of the email channel. But actually, if you strip it back, understand who you're talking to and why you're talking to them, you're actually going to get a much better return on investment. So for me, it's such an important topic. So Kate, I wanted to ask you first, what does that being human element mean to you? What does that emotional intelligence mean to you? Absolutely. You know, I think the crux of it is just being a good friend. So this is a thing I I love to use the dinner party analogy, right? So um, when you go to a dinner party, good dinner parties where you're meeting new people um, who are maybe connected with mutual friends, they the best ones are the ones where you get to really connect with people and understand them and get to know them. And The worst ones are when there's a guy standing up at the end of the table arbitrarily just shouting about himself. And I think that's that's a perfect representation of what's happening in our inboxes today, right? So um, people pop into their inboxes and there are some brands that are just constantly shouting about themselves. You know, we're running this sale or we're doing this thing and you should be interested in us. But really successful marketing is when people are interested in their audiences first. So instead of being the guy shouting at the end of the dinner table about yourself, try to be the person sitting down next to someone new and learning something from them and figuring out who they are and what they're interested in, because everybody has an interesting story to tell. And from a marketing perspective, what I think is really cool is that you cannot be successful trying to be all things to all people. It just doesn't work. But brands who know who they are and they commit to, you know, these are our values and this is what we find important. And then this is our target audience. And here's how we can be the, here's how we can be the support to help them be the best people they could be. Um, that's effective marketing when you can actually effectively communicate with people and support them and be a friend. Absolutely. I I absolutely love that analogy. I think it's such a perfect way to describe it. And this is where a lot of brands aren't quite catching up yet. We have the data available. You know, a lot of time brands don't even know what data they have within their company <laughs> that they could be tapping into. It could be that the social media team is using some, you know, one piece of data, the email team's using another piece of data, the customer services team have got, you know, all of this other data that's sitting there and there's no connection between it. And I think that's the first thing for me that's so important. And I've talked about this on other episodes on the podcast as well, that you've got to have that joined up data. You have to have that single customer view. And I know it's the nirvana of where we all want to get to. And there's going to be people listening to this going, but oh, that's too hard for me to do. I can't get to there. But do you know what? Pull in as much as you can to get as a bigger view as you can and keep adding to it. Keep pulling in more data as you can, because without the data, you can't truly understand who you are talking to. You know, they're not a number on your database. Every single one person is a person. You know, they, they're not just a number on your database and you have to talk to them as individuals, understand their needs, 
use that data that they have given you permission to use wisely and be really sensitive to people's needs. And I think we are starting to see brands doing that. So I don't know if you've seen them. And again, I've talked about this on the podcast before, but um, brands now around Father's Day and Mother's Day in the lead up to it have said, you know, hey, we're going to be sending out these emails. We understand it can be a sensitive time. If you'd rather opt out and not receive emails around this time, that's cool. We'll keep sending you our other emails. But if you don't want this content, we can take you out of it. Have you seen those examples as well? Yes. And I love them. I love them. And I think that's a perfect example of brands choosing to ask the question, how can I help rather than what can you give me? Oh, I love that. Absolutely. It's it's truly listening and talking with them rather than at them. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's, I just think it's so exciting to see brands addressing the human side of things. And you see this in like, oops, emails too are a really good example. Whereas before people would send an email mistake and then just labor over, Oh, how do we communicate about this? Or what do we do? Or how do we make this right? Do we have to offer a discount? Um, and discounts are sometimes nice, but what I really love seeing is when people will send emails that say, Hey, sorry, we got really excited about this and more people too. And we screwed up, but in an effort to help you, this is what we're doing to make it better. And it just, it fosters connections that weren't there before. Yeah. And I think it's that, it's that classic people buy from people. So even if you're a big brand, it is still <laughs> that empathy. It's that human connection. And then it is using even those psychological elements. You know, we've got obviously, you know, the fear of them missing out and the urgency. And we have to be careful with those as well, because mm-hmm. we also have to realize that there is anxiety in people. And we need to understand that we have to be careful with these tools mm-hmm. that we have as well. But getting people excited and bringing in the social proof and all of those psychological elements, it is bringing the human element to the way that you're communicating with people via email. And I think that's so important. It absolutely is. And the, you know, bringing it back to the, the friend analogy, be a good friend. So the people that you probably like to hang out with, definitely the people who I like to hang out with are the people who they're excited about their own things in their own right. And that energy is contagious. Whereas, um, you know, the people I've had in my life who are constantly stressed and worried and scared and saying, Oh, well, we have to do this right now because if we don't do it, then we're going to miss out. That's far less compelling and far more anxiety inducing than being with a friend who says, I am so excited about this event. Let's perfect example. One of my friends, she's, she's an avid hiker. She will get me absolutely stoked about waking up at two o'clock in the morning to go for a sunrise <laughs> hike to the top of a mountain. That wow, hurts. She's good. Like, it's not. <laughs> It's not, I mean, it is, it's totally worthwhile, but it's not because she's constantly knocking on my door saying, Oh, we have to do this or we're going to miss out. It's because she's saying all the time, well, it's going to be beautiful and you're going to love it and you're going to feel so good. And that's what good marketing is about is inspiring with your own excitement and your own energy rather than that fear or anxiety. Intelligence, energizing your email marketing with Kate Barrett. For more specialist advice to help you create email marketing that gets results, visit e-focusmarketing.com. 
Yeah. And understanding your subscribers and who they are and what are those things that are going to connect to them? What is it that's going to excite them? So, you know, creating those customer personas so that you can understand who your different types of customer are within your audience so that you can then connect to their emotional needs, their wants, their desires. Um, You know, because what one person enjoys about a 2 a.m. hike up to the top of the mountain is going to be slightly different from what another person would pick pick up and what, you know, what their kind of key takeaway is from uh-huh. an activity like that, whether it's the sunrise, whether it's the exercise, whether it's the bird song, whether, what is it that connects to those different people within your audience? Yes. So I think that's really important. And I think that we also need to be very careful with this. So as we come through, we have to understand the negative side of, of kind of the human, you know, element as well. So we've mentioned anxiety there, but did you hear about that example? It happened a, a few years ago now with Target where they gathered all their data together. You've probably heard this one before. They gathered all their data together and they analyzed it. And what they found by analyzing their data was that at any given period of a woman's pregnancy, they mm-hmm. saw that there were certain products that she was more likely to buy. So what they did was they used this data to predict how pregnant somebody was at what stage <laughs> of their pregnancy they were. And this all sounds fantastic, right? So they then use that data to then serve up products that were highly relevant to that person's stage in pregnancy. Brilliant. Except for the fact that they were doing all of this without actually asking somebody. So what they found was, and there's a, it's a really famous story. If you just Google, you know, kind of, um, the target email example around pregnancy, you'll, you'll find the article about it. But basically what happened was a guy went into one of their stores in Central America and complained and said, Hey, why are you sending emails with pregnancy related products to my teenage daughter? It transpired that she was, of course, pregnant. She was in her first trimester, but she hadn't told her parents yet. So we have all of this data, all of this knowledge. We need to be very careful with how we're using it. You know, this was creepy. It was going too far (laughs) before someone's even told their family that they're pregnant. Target was sending them products that they might need. Helpful slash creepy. You've got to watch that. Tip over, right? So what they did next, I think, was was very, very clever. So what they did was they still took that same data, but instead of being overtly obvious in their emails that they were advertising to somebody who was pregnant, they mixed those same products, those same offers in with other products and offers that you wouldn't necessarily buy when you were pregnant. And they saw the uptake on those products that they were recommending to you then shot up and their conversion rate was really high on that. So you had that personalization, but without the overtly creepy. And I think Mm -hmm. this is what we need to be careful of with the rise of artificial intelligence and predicting what people want before they even know that they want it. We have to be careful that we're doing it in a way that is human, that we are talking Uh to those people. So the other stories that I like to tell are around, um, 
I don't know if you've ever been onto Amazon and bought a toilet seat, for example. Yes. <laughs> yes, and Amazon will then retarget you with more toilet seats. I mean, how many toilet seats does one person need? Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, so they're, they're missing the mark a little bit there. Or the other one that I like to tell, I'm giving away all my stories here, but is around um, an engagement <laughs> ring. So if you went online and were searching for an engagement ring, you wouldn't want to be retargeted with emails or with um, you know retargeting ads on Google or or on Facebook for engagement rings. Because, you know, I know that if I search for something online or my husband does and we're both at home, I will see ads for things that he's just searched because obviously it's IP based. So, Uh you know, it's showing those things to me. So you have to truly understand. And again, it comes back to the human element. How are people going to receive and respond to that information and to that way of marketing? And I think for me, again, that's another really important point around the emotional intelligence and and putting that into your strategy. It is. You have to be so thoughtful about it. And it's really funny that you say that. Actually, I got an email from my husband not too long ago saying, I can tell you've been in my Amazon account because I'm getting retargeted for uh, feminist email t-shirts. And- <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, at least you were searching for something really cool. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's so funny. You know, we have to be mindful of how people actually use platforms and services too. Um, you know, with the target example, obviously they, they learned what works and what helps and they, they inspected and they adapted. And that's really good. And what I've seen in the software world that's been especially tricky is that often we imagine that our customers' journeys are exactly what we designed them to be. Yes. But people use products not the way they're intended. Um, people will make things work for their particular needs. And so I think it's really hard to take a step back when you're looking at data, to take a step back and say, what does this actually mean? How is this actually being used? Um, and we can't, we can't be too careful about telling our own stories about what people are doing because often, you know, to your point, being human, a lot of that is just asking and having a conversation. So Alaska Airlines did something really cool a while back. They revamped their onboarding program. And to do that, they basically, so they had all these different modules, uh, for what's, what's in our onboarding email number one. And there were uh, partner offers and there were point balances and destinations, a whole long list of things. And when they revamped it, they said, okay, we want to trim this down. We want to make it more useful. So the first step in that is to ask, let's, let's figure out what people (laughs) think they would like. And when they asked, people said, okay, well, we want modules, um, for, you know, our points balances and destinations. And let's also talk about hotels. That's, that's what we're interested in. And a lot of companies I think would stop there. But what I found fascinating about the process is they took what their consumers told them and they said, okay, let's actually test this. And as it turns out, uh, people often don't know what they want. They, they, (laughs) I know. (laughs) So people were telling them, okay, we want these three things. They actually only wanted one of those. And so they were able to modify the series based on not only what people were telling them and what their data was telling them, but what, what they thought would be most useful and in the smallest package too, which is great. So fascinating. And do you know what would probably be really interesting to know is that those elements that 
the consumers said that they wanted. I wonder if they did want them, but that they didn't want them straight away. Maybe it was that they needed them at different stages in the journey. Yes. They didn't even know that they needed it broken up. So I think there is such a big element of, like you said, taking what someone has told you, but also mixing that with behavior and then testing it at different Uh stages of the journey as well as to when would be most appropriate then to deliver that information. Yeah. The the paradox of choice is such a thing. And I (laughs) think that's why it's so important that we limit what we send people. So let's figure out what we're sending that's most helpful and when, to your point, like you have to test everything because you can throw them a thousand helpful links in one email and that could be every link that they could possibly need, but they might only ever click on one because it's too much all at one time. Yeah, too much. And they don't need it right now. They might need it in a week's time or two weeks time or depending on how their behavior changes. <laughs> and so understanding who they are, understanding the customer life cycle, and there'll be an episode on the podcast about the customer life cycle coming up in the near future as well. So look oh, out for that. But understanding um, so where they are in their journey, because the content that they need at different stages of the journey, and depending on who they are, is going to be different. And you know, all of these elements, again, somebody is probably listening to this or watching this and going, okay, whoa, this is blowing my mind. This is amazing. I totally get it. I'm totally on board with it. But how do I do this in practice? Because (laughs) I could end up with a thousand different variations or a thousand different journeys. So have you got any tips from, you know, kind of your past experience and what you do now at Scaled Agile as to how do you plan all of this out? You know, how, what have you found is the best way to do it? So one thing that I love from the software world is the um, MVP, minimum viable product. So what can we get out there that does our job? And so I use the MVP methodology in just in life. I think it's fascinating. Oh, me too. But yeah. There's, you get so overwhelmed if you try to do everything at once. So a few different ways to prioritize um, just start with tiny little things. So you could start with something as small as um, like emojis at the bottom of um, an onboarding email. So this is relevant because I'm working with taxi now, but on their <laughs> help page, they have three little emojis at the bottom of the page and they say, was this content useful to you? So this is taxi, taxi free email. Yes. Brilliant. So I'll put a link in the show notes to Taxi Freemail, but they are a platform who help you create amazing emails really, really easily. So, you know, a lot of drag and drop, building a modular design template. Um, they're a really great platform to help you get a design that encourages action within your email. So I'll put a link to them in the show notes as well. They're brilliant. They're incredible. It's a funny story about taxi. I actually, when I came on at scaled agile, because I had been in the software world, because I had been the one email person before, um, at make music, I said all the time, I was like, Oh, I'll never need to use templates. That's not a thing. I'll code everything myself. (laughs) And then of course I show up at a team with, you know, 10 different people who have somehow in some capacity been involved with email instantly have a need for it. And what's been cool with their onboarding is that they are so, um, they're so curious to learn about, okay, what works for you? What doesn't work for you? And I think that curiosity is really, really important in building good relationships. So to that end, you could throw something as small as just little emojis at the bottom of your email, or even if it's not your brand, you could do, um, ask people to click on stars to say, was this helpful for what you need right now? 
Um, another thing that I loved at Make Music, this was one of the projects that I just had a blast working on. So we were a software company, so we had a lot of data on how people were using our tools. And the fascinating thing about that was that with Smart Music, so it's a music education tool for teachers and students, a platform where people can log in, see sheet music on screen. So we had a lot of data on both the teacher side of things and the student side of things. And we had problems with retention. When I first started, it was a real challenge because teachers would spend all this money on this tool and teachers are just pulled in a billion different directions. And so a lot of times they would learn how to use bits and pieces, but never really the way we intended for them to use it. So they would get overwhelmed and then a year would go by and they still hadn't been able to make use of it the way that they had hoped they would. So they would churn. And the way we decided to combat that issue, um, is we started looking at the data. We figured out, okay, the people who are staying with us for a long time, what pieces of the software are they using? What's working for them? So we found the disparities between people who were churning and the people who were lifelong, just smart music advocates. And we said, okay, how can we help teach the people who don't know how to use the product, how to use it well, so they can become advocates and really make the most of it. So things like that, look at your data, figure out what works for your successful customers, what doesn't work for your unsuccessful customers, try to bridge that gap. You can ask people what works for them, you know, splitting up emails into modules like Alaska Airlines did and say, okay, what is this content doing? What job is this content serving? And is that effective for people? So measuring things in big blocks. I think what gets really scary to people is when they start looking at things too granularly. Um, if, if they get really stuck in the weeds and say, okay, well, do we use this word or this word? It's often not the word, it's the overall message. And so the further you can step back to do those MVP tests and just test the big things, small iterations on big things will help point you in the right direction. And the more you test, the more specific you can get with your tests. Love that. Okay. So analyze the data, understand what content is needed when, use those small iterations, just do a little bit at a time and build up on it, test as you go, all of those kind of um, elements to building up a structure. The MVP, the minimum viable product, definitely. I, I do that all of the time with clients. I say, you know, right, what's your phase one, your phase two, your phase yep. three, just because you don't have everything all in phase one. That's okay. This gives us no. something to work with. Whilst we're working out the data, let's get this series in place. Then we can build on that. That gives us a foundation to build on even further. So I think those are really good tips in terms of building out that structure to your strategy. Um, and then the modular template as well. So you mentioned taxi for email, but however you do it, you know, you were saying about coming in scaled agile, I'm thinking you'd code everything, but actually a modular <laughs> template is going to help you to keep that brand identity in place when lots of other people are going to be building things as well within the team possibly. But even if it's just you that's doing it, it's going to help you to speed up the process as well and have all of those building blocks ready for you to quickly get those emails built. So I think all of those are fantastic tips. Start with one strand, go from there. 
dig down into it a little bit deeper, add another layer to it, add another layer to it. And before you know, you're going to have a really complex email marketing program going on, but use the technology to help you use dynamic content, use artificial intelligence, use a modular template, you know, use all of those things that are at your disposal to speed up the process and to make it more agile. Absolutely. I think scalability, it's, it's not just because I work for a company called Scale, Scaled Agile, but figuring out <laughs> using the little tests to figure out what scales and what's effective long-term so that I and the other members on my team can use it and make it work. Intelligence, Energizing your email marketing with Kate Barrett. Brought to you by eFocus Marketing. Join in the discussion on social media. Search hashtag intelligence. So in your presentation, you talked about, obviously, you've got the human element to your email marketing and all of those elements that we've just talked about. But you talked a little bit about applying that to your internal teams as well. So do you want to kind of talk us through that? Yes. Yeah, that's it's the funniest thing that I see. And obviously, it's not limited to email, but it's it's so easy when we're the experts in such a niche industry to, you know, we know all about uh, design systems and accessibility and deliverability. And these are phrases that are totally foreign to people who aren't in this world. So what I hear a lot about in the email world is people saying, well, I'm not getting buy-in on doing things the right way. And I know this is a best practice, but I can't convince my CMO to do it this way. And that's, that's where I think there's huge opportunity because, you know, when we don't speak the same language, we have to lean on emotional intelligence to learn to speak other people's languages. And the easiest way to do that is to just lead with why. And that works for your subscribers and your internal stakeholders. So the the example that I used in my talk was, you know, be the toddler who asks why a thousand times. It's It can be really frustrating, I, I think, for people who have kids and their kids are constantly saying, well, why? Why does it work this way? Can you tell me about this? <laughs> and, but we we humor it and we teach them because we know those questions are coming from a place of curiosity and genuine interest. And the shame, I think, is that we lose a lot of that as adults and we start, we have enough perspective from our past experience that we tell ourselves this lie that we have all the information we need to tell ourselves our own story about why something is happening. And we forget that we have to proactively communicate with our internal stakeholders. So perfect example, when I was at Make Music, it took me two years of asking for a new ESP to get buy-in from my CMO. And I was really frustrated about it for a while because I was, you know, I was talking about all the things that I was frustrated with about our current ESP. And I was showing him, I was like, it's cheaper and it's look at all these shiny new features and meet the team. Their customer success is amazing. And for the longest time, I just couldn't understand why I wasn't getting that buy-in. And then finally I sat down and I was like, all right, why, why do I want to switch to a new ESP? And the crux of it was that I was spending 20 more hours a week on one-off campaign emails that were content. They were all content and it was helpful content and valuable, but I was spending 20 more hours a week on emails that performed, um, 
at one fifth the rate as our automated emails. And it was because I was writing custom SQL for every single one of those one-off emails, just because it, it, the audience was always changing a little bit. So I was spending all of this time doing this and it occurred to me, I was like, I'm frustrated by this, but he has no idea that that's, that I can see the disparity in where I'm spending my time and the revenue that these different emails are bringing in. So to him, it just seemed like, oh, well, these are flashy new features and it's a little bit cheaper, but he was concerned about, understandably so, about the time investment and the resource investment to switch ESPs. So when I was finally able to outline, okay, this is the cost of us staying with this existing ESP versus this is what we could do with a new one that would allow me to work on the automated stuff that I know performs better. The decision was easy, but it took me two whole years, which is ridiculous. It took me two whole years to come to that realization that I needed to paint a picture for him in a way that was, was valuable and made sense and illustrated the importance. And so I think what we so often do is we, we see everything from our own perspective and we assume that people have all the information that we have. And so we forget to assume their positive intent because to us, it's so easy to say, well, of course this is the way it is. Like we just, just trust me, but trust is really hard. And so you have to be super proactive and, um, curious and intentional about having those conversations and getting people on board and making sure that you're seeing everything from everyone's perspective. I absolutely love that as an example. And I think, you know, a lot of people say that it's hard to get CMOs to have this conversation and the, you know, they're not getting involved in the conversation about email because email just works. It just does its Uh thing and it just (laughs) works. Right. So, um, what you've just said there is so important. And I think as email marketers and as marketers in general, because, you know, a lot of people listening won't just be email marketers. There'll be marketers who do email mm-hmm. as part of their role. And actually it's about us learning to do our jobs better. It's about us learning how to have those conversations. So one of the ways that I like to break that down is exactly what you've just said. It's the, it's the, so what analogy, isn't it? Yes. So say something and then ask yourself, so what? what does that mean? And just keep going and keep asking yourself, so what at every single stage of that conversation with yourself until you get to the absolute crux of it, which you did, which was that you were going to save the time, how much it was costing you, you know, what it meant that you couldn't work on these other things, which which again was costing you more revenue because you couldn't work on the targeted structured campaigns that you needed to. So you drill down to that finite, point where you just kept saying so what so what so what and you came to the point that the CMO needed to know so I I absolutely love that as a takeaway it's fun that's that's the thing I think building internal relationship is the thing that is perhaps the biggest challenge and also one of the most rewarding things because there is just nothing better than working with a team who are working towards a shared goal and feeling good about it and everybody's on the same page about okay you manage this piece I'll manage this piece we'll come together on this piece and it just feels good Definitely, definitely. And just to kind of wrap us up, I know that um, the listeners and watchers have email marketing jobs to go on to and campaigns to send. (laughs) So just to kind of wrap it up, you know, it's so important to test test, test, and test again. Again, we'll, we'll do another episode all about testing. And I've got a a methodology to share with people to make sure that you get the right kind of tests running. Um, but I think that you, again, you shared a really important example in your 
presentation about about burning best practice you know that best practice <laughs> is a great starting point but you've got to you've got to learn to listen to what your audience are telling you take the best practice as a starting point but test it so again everything that we've just talked about for the last half an hour is about taking an idea and then even if it's what they've told you they want as the audience, use their behavior to actually tell you whether that is best to push it out to them. So you had a great example about um, templates that you'd created. I don't know if you want to, to run through that quickly and share it. This this is really fascinating to me. When I started at Scaled Agile, I was so sure that everything that I had learned at Make Music would apply here. And because so many of the things I learned at Make Music were very consistent with the industry best practices, so short and conversational and fun and playful human, all that good stuff. And the first kind of set of emails I worked on at Scaled Agile were for our European summit. And exactly what I expected. I was testing longer copy versus shorter and more playful imagery versus more academic and far and above, like short, playful, conversational always performs better. And so I was feeling really good about myself. Like, oh yeah, you know, I told you so, knew, knew this was going to happen. Exactly. <laughs> and then I started digging into our member newsletters. And these are people who have gotten certifications with us for um, scrum masters or product managers. And um, in these newsletters, we're sharing community content. And when I first got in, I was like, these are just long and academic and dry and just not pleasant. So let me just, tr I'll just trim them. I know what's going to work here. And for the past six months, I have been testing those over and over and over again, every which way I can imagine. And as far as I can tell, nobody cares whether they're long or not. We get ridiculous read rates on those emails. It's like 75% of people who open them, um, read them for more than 10 seconds, which is just blows industry standards out of the water. So that's a perfect example of had I spent all of my time just insisting, well, we totally need to change the way that we do these. That would have been just a time sink for me for, for no good reason, because our audience, um, they appreciate dry and academic. As long as they're learning, they're happy. So in those particular emails, you know, I would have walked right off the best practices cliff had I not listened and learned. Yeah. And I think that is, you know, kind of a, a great summary point to wrap us up on is listen, learn, take best practice as a base point. But, you know, those newsletters versus other types of emails in your business, they wanted the informational long form, that's what they wanted for and what they expected from those emails. You know, if you are an editorial based business, that's going to work better for you than the short mm -hmm. conversational. Whereas if you're a retailer, the, the short punchy window to more information is probably more where you want to be. But again, test it for your audience because it's all going to differ. So listen and learn, I think is a really great takeaway. So do you have a one final point, a takeaway, a tip that you want to share with the audience around emotional intelligence? Yeah, just, you know, be that person at the dinner party. Know that you can't be everything to be everyone and listen and be human and understand that what works for some people won't work for others. And it's all a matter of, I think my two values just as a human being, uh, 
lend themselves well to this, but authenticity and curiosity are so important in communicating well and building relationships. So focus on building the relationships and not getting the conversion. And I think you'll see the, uh, the effects in the conversion that follow. Yeah. Both with your email marketing and internally with your teams as well. Yes. <laughs> Kate, thank you so much for joining me. It has been an absolute pleasure to have this discussion with you and, and really talk about the human side of email marketing. So I hope that everyone listening and watching has got a lot out of this episode. I know that I have. Remember to be customer centric. Remember to listen. And please do remember also to subscribe to the podcast. We're on iTunes, we're on Spotify, um, and of course we're on YouTube as well, where you can see our lovely faces whilst you're listening. <laughs> so that's all for today. Thank you so much, Kate, again for joining me. And I Thank shall see you. everyone in a couple of weeks for the next episode. Thanks, Kate. Beautiful. Thanks for having me on. Talk to you soon. Intelligence. Energizing your email marketing with Kate Barrett. Head to our website for downloads and show notes, e-focusmarketing.com slash intelligence. E